think about human beings and how we judge each other, our primary sense is our sight. We all display emotions on our faces in exactly the same way. It doesn't matter where you are in the world. And our ability to be able to communicate, to be able to put ourselves across well, helps people to buy into us. Before people will buy from you, they have to buy into you. Hello and welcome to Speak Like a CEO, the leading podcast on CEO and founder communications. My name is Oliver Aust, author, podcaster and host of this podcast, of course, which today as its guest is Martin Brooks. Martin, welcome. Hi, I'm really looking forward to having this conversation over. Thank you for the invite. Uh, totally. And thanks for reaching out. Uh, when you reached out, uh, I couldn't believe that in around 200 conversations and guests on this podcast, we ne never really focused on body language, which is a complete oversight. And it happens to be your area of expertise. Indeed. I mean, you think about human beings and how we judge each other. Our primary sense is our sight. So that is really important in terms of how we judge people, how we interact, how we're viewed. And even that simple question of how do I want to be viewed and then ensuring our behaviors align with that. So yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm really looking forward to your insightful questions and the answers <laughs> that will then be of value to your listeners. Yeah, I, I will try very hard and, and I would love this to be <laughs> super practical. And of course, I want to ask you if mm. they, you know, how did you get into this and so on, but we want this to be, you and I want this to be super practical so people can actually take away a lot of the advice you're giving here. So we will go through uh, a few situations that a lot of leaders face all the time, be it a job interview, leading the team, pitching. So these are the interesting things where People think a lot about what they say, but not a lot, a lot about how they say it. And this is this is an oversight to me. Um, but first of all, how did you get into this game, body language? Well, my my background was sales and sales leadership. So back uh, in August 1991, my first ever proper job was as a, in the travel industry as a travel consultant. So doing face to face selling people around the world trips, European trips, etc. But that, that focus, my first commercial job on sales and interacting with people, so reading customers, when are they likely to book, when can you, when, when can you say, are you ready to book, you know, give me your credit card. But also that difference about uh, competitive advantage. And obviously we were incentivized, it was a sales uh, scenario. So I started paying attention to how did the best sales people sell and what, did the, what were the things that they did, how they interacted with the customer. And that idea of competitive advantage got really stuck into my DNA in terms of a business person from all those years ago. And it's continued throughout. And our ability to be able to communicate and our ability to be able to put ourselves across well helps people to buy into us. And as the rapper Chuck D famously said, before people will buy from you, they have to buy into you. Oh, they got to buy you, the person, yeah. and then they can go, okay, so what's the service? What's the product? Now, now uh, or what, what's the investment opportunity? So if they've bought you, then they can, you can have that second conversation. So body language is a big part of that. And it, and it, it showed up again and again in terms of my training and consultancy business then, which I set up in 2002. And really then I started to focus in and hone in on that piece because there was a bit that a number of my mentors and my peers said, you know, you've got an eye for that. You can really spot and notice things. And it developed from there. And then, of course, getting published a couple body language decoder last year that then really cemented, you know, my expertise in, in that area and something I love to talk about add value to people and help them have a competitive advantage from knowing how to use their body language better. Yeah, uh, totally. And, and maybe first we should establish what body language entails. Mm -hmm. So basically it's everything that you can see. Uh, now, interesting in the, in the post-pandemic era, of course, a lot of this is being done through, through Zoom or other platforms. And the interesting thing is I've had somebody say to me, you know, well, gosh, your career must have taken a little bit of a dip recently because now we're not meeting face-to-face -face anymore. Body language isn't really that important. It's like, oh, my goodness, you could not be more wrong because it's so hard to engage. It's, it's pretty difficult to get an investor interested You know, at the best of times. If you're doing it remotely, it's so much harder. So you've got to work so much harder. And our brain doesn't stop having that primary sense as our sight. So in being able to engage people visually with our hands, with our faces, with, with our entire body, the way we sit, in fact. So I've got 
a whole series of right angles. So my foot is at right angle with the floor. My shin is at right angle with my foot. My thigh is at right angle with my with my thigh bone. My torso was at right angle with everything. So, so I'm sitting upright. So presenting myself as if I'm energetic, I'm attentive, I'm interested. And we read all of that on an unconscious level. Then you go down to like some of the more detail, like facial expressions. If you're interacting with an investor and investors, well, we have a concern about that. Who are they going to really believe is listening to them? Or the person who's got a blank face when they say, well, do I get that? Well, the person who goes, who furrows their brow a little bit, you know, and narrows their eyes and goes, yeah, I, I understand yeah. that. Leading so in. They're showing, <laughs> yeah. showing that physical empathy, not just feeling it, but being able to physically demonstrate it. And of course, in the areas of confidence and getting across your credibility, do you gesture in a way that, that supports that key message? Do you, does your body, your face expressions, your gestures all say confidence? Because that's what other people want from us in order to be able to buy into us. And then, of course, the, what we're selling, be that a product or service or an organization. Yeah, uh, to totally. And how good would you say, let's say the average person in business, white collar, from one to 10, where 10 is the highest, how good are we uh, in decoding body language and using body language intentionally? What would you say? Yeah, it, well, it's, it's absolutely fascinating for me. I, I worked for many years as a contract trainer for larger training companies. And one of those companies had a lot of training contracts in big successful business schools. So places like Chicago Business, Chicago Booth Business School, uh, London Business School, uh, Cass University. And one of the courses we used to do there was on, on London Business School was in the senior executive program. So that's like their flagship program for top senior executives. And one of the programs there was called Personal Impact. And that basically was six it was senior executives. They come in with a three-minute pitch. We'd sit there, analyze their pitch, and go, this is what's good. This is what you need to keep doing. Oh, and by the way, you're missing an opportunity of that. So giving them that feedback. And the number of times that I said to very senior executives, probably average age, about 48, 52, kind of depending on the program around that age group. But the feedback that I would give them about how they use their body language or their voice or their the, how they would structure their content, the number of them that said to me, nobody's ever told me that before. And of course, we would video it and show, them back, show it back to them and go, oh my goodness, that's interesting. I'd never noticed that. I'd never been aware of that. Or what was even more fascinating was the people who I would give positive feedback to us. Oh, oh, I love the way you use Bill Clinton's thumb of power. And they go, what? <laughs> what are you talking about? So, so I'd show them the video back and I'd say, look, here's this thing that you did. And that was really useful. Uh, so there seemed to be some people were like they had learned by osmosis. They kind of absorbed it from people they were around around them, but didn't really have that knowledge. So they would use it what I call accidental brilliance. Mm -hmm. They would do it sometimes in the right place, but it never really was the, uh, consciously thought through. So you come back to your question about one to 10, how, how, how the average I would say is probably about three, three and a half, yeah. because most people just don't have that knowledge about what, what good looks like. And like you alluded to earlier, in these high pressure situations, the vast majority of people's thought process is on the content what they're going to say. Yes. And of course, rightly so, content is king. But if you don't look right whilst you're delivering that great content, you're not yeah. going to get a great result. And, and the worst, I, I agree with that. And, and I think it's not hard to get from a three to probably six or seven. Mm. Um, we, can, we can dive into how that would work. But just, just from my perspective, especially in big companies when it comes to speech writing, for instance, right? So a lot of people... Um, argue about every word in the speech that the CEO is going to give next week, say. And no no thought has been given to how is he or she actually going to deliver this speech because this is way too complicated. It's way too long. It is not um, structured right. So it is almost impossible to deliver this speech other than just reading it, which mm. is, of course, it's a speech, it's not a readout, right? So yeah. to me, there's always this complete disconnect between this, oh, we need to control what's being said by the boss and what's actually going to happen when the person is stepping up and stepping in front of the mic and has to deliver the speech. Yeah. yeah and I, th I think you're right. The, we, content is so important. 
But but think about the aim of the content. Is it to convince? Is it to influence? And is it to motivate? Yes. So if you if it's an if it's like a senior leader looking to motivate their their team, for example, you can have brilliant words. You can have a great speech. But if it's if it's delivered with a lack of vocal energy or a lack of the the relevant hand gestures that that on an unconscious level say, I have bought into this. I the leader. I myself completely own this and I'm looking to really inspire and, and motivate you, if those indicators are not there, then it's very difficult for people to, to buy into it. So I can understand, and it is crucially important to have great content, but that content can fall flat if it isn't supported visually. And in a competitive scenario, and this is one thing I, I wanted to share with you, it's like you've got there's a, a fantastic experiment done by uh, Professor Jupp Cornelsen at Erasmus University, and it was actually featured in the Harvard Business Review back in 2019. And basically what he did was he got people to come into the university thinking that they were being pitched to by these great entrepreneurs who had this great business idea. What they were getting pitched was a script that he had prepared with groups of actors. Now, one act, so all of them were given exactly the same script, going back to your idea about the speech. Now, one group was, taught, was, was told, look, just really mute your body language, really bring it down. You know, don't gesture emphatically, don't use your facial expressions in any, any demonstrative way. The other group were told, okay, use again, using the same script, but this time, let your let your body language go. Let it support the idea. If you think something is really worth fighting for, shake your fist. You know, if you are really excited, show it on your face, raise your eyebrows. And of course, being actors, they know how to do this, so they went for it. Then he com then he asked all the the audience members, the people who are on the receiving end of this pitch, about their likelihood to invest, and he then compared and contrast. And the group that had used their body language much more deliberately, they were 12% more likely to get an investment than the group who were using exactly the same script, but without the more emphatic body language. So in competitive situations, if you're going in, then being able to use your body language more effectively just makes it much more likely that you're going to succeed because that's what people respond to, the full package, a great message, vocally delivered well and supported by our primary sense receptors, our body language. Yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I'm not surprised uh, by this at all. And I always, my advice is always spend 50% of your preparation time on what you say and 50% on how you say it and film yourself, get someone to film you. The yes. camera doesn't lie, right? And this leads us to the next point is how do you actually improve? Like, okay, thanks Martin, I get it, it's important. I need to yes. think about this way more. So what, would, what do we want me to do? I think what you just said there is a fantastic idea. What I, what I say, what, well, discovering what's your baseline. So how well do I use my face expressions? How well do I gesture? How well am I sitting? Just the very fact that people might start thinking about those will bring it all into the conscious awareness and then become aware, not only of self, but then also when they're looking at other people. So if you watch a TED talk, if you watch a politician, if you watch one of the a business leader that you really like and respect, the fact that the brain is now thinking about those things, you'll start to notice patterns. And this is what I do all the time. I love watching politicians or senior business leaders and just go, oh yeah, there's another thumb of power. There's another pinch of salt. Oh, there's another parallel hand chop because I know what I'm looking for. So the first thing is to raise the awareness. Start thinking about what does good look like? And also, what do I look like? So this idea that you had, I mean, we all, we all have smartphones these days. They've all got cameras. Yeah. It's so easy to record ourselves. But most of us hate seeing and hearing ourselves. And we do, we'll do anything to actually avoid it. I, I hear oh, yes. hearing myself. You know, it, it's universal. Because we become aware of what our audience experience. And it's that realization, oh, wow, is that what I look like? Is that what I sound like? And it's horrible an experience that is. It establishes your baseline of where you are. And that can tell you about some habits you want to change, some things you want to start doing, or some things that you might notice that you're doing well. Actually, I should be more targeted about that. I should do that particular thing much more often around to really reinforce key points. So get yourself 
aware of body language. Start thinking about it. Pay attention to people who are really good at it. Notice the patterns. And then figure out what your baseline is by videoing yourself and starting getting that analysis about what you're doing well, what you're not doing so well, and what you could do to improve. Yeah, I love that. And uh, that's why coaches are often very impactful here because they, they force you to look at the cover uh, at, your, <laughs> at, your, at yourself on video and the camera doesn't lie. And I totally I totally agree with that. There are also good books, right? Vanessa Van Edwards, for instance, I would quote her in Message Machine a few times. So she's done some incredible work on um, nonverbal cues, she calls it. Uh, Amy Cuddy before, there's some you know, yes. controversy yes. around her studies. But you've come up with a different idea. You're, you have not published a book, but you've published the body language decoder mm. so what, what is that so based body language decoder is 50 cards uh, and i always liked the idea of being a published author but then there was this kind of contrast in terms of well body language is a very visual thing and <laughs> books tend to be loads of words so it's like there's a bit mm, there's a little bit of a contrast here so i was delighted to get approached by a publisher who had already created a, a card deck what they called a card deck and it was on dreams. So it was 50 cards. And on one side of the card was a visual representation of the dream. So like, like somebody standing on the top of a mountain going, ah, whatever, you know. So, and then the flip side of the card was, if you dream about being on a mountaintop, it's likely that this is what it means. So they came to me and they said, look, we've done these gift cards that people really like them. We, we really think body language is an area that we could, we could really sell a lot of. There's a lot of interest in it. Um, would you be interested in writing body language decoder 50 cards? And I went, yes. And they said, all right, off you go. And I was like, is that it? <laughs> is that, is that, is those are the only guidelines that we got. So what was fascinating is, right, I've got 50 cards. What, what categories do I want to have? What goes into them? And just that knowledge that, oh, brilliant. It's going to be a 50-50 you know, um, medium, 50% the visual with the illustration on one side and then the other side. The, the description of what people are actually saying. So I broke it down into different categories. So for example, deception, which is body language, one that people seem to be really interested in. A nervousness, which is really good if you're like, to be aware of what nervous tells might look like uh, in, in terms of yourself and how not to do them. But also if you're interviewing people, if you, to be aware that somebody is nervous and then to be able to calm them down or to be able to, you know, acknowledge that and say, hey, you know, I hate doing interviews as well, but, you know, just relax, be yourself. I'm sure it'll be fine. So different categories. So deception, nervousness, confidence was a, was a great one because, you know, you, you, if you're in a competitive situation, you're pitching for an investor's money, you want to look as confident as possible so they can have confidence in you. And th this was just this was just like so wonderful. I was, I was so much joy in actually writing it and bringing all the years of experience and condensing it all down so that some, something like people could use on a daily basis in an interview, giving a presentation, you're joining a, a meeting, the ability to be able to be aware of body language in terms of how they could use it but also paying attention to what other people were doing and going, oh, that's interesting. This person is behaving in this way. That now gives me some clues about how I might want to respond to them, what question I'd answer, or when I'd stop talking and uh, and let them speak if they wanted to talk. Uh, I can totally see that. And, and thank you for sending me um, a copy of the Body Language Decoder. I really enjoyed it. And um, I will talk some more about it and, and on social media. But this is this is really cool because in books, books have their limitations, right? And I think also mm. by using not photographs, but... Um, actually visualizations of body language actually it becomes very um it, it just speaks to me so i think this is really really helpful and you can always take out a card and remind yourself before you go into these situations mm. we're talking about books and i think one book which did this terribly and you, you may have a different opinion was called um what everybody is saying and there were just photos mm. of people in there that were so um fake to me that it, it really as a book didn't work for me and it's probably unfair but I thought you know it yeah. makes sense not to have another book about body language but really to have um, have this different approach that is very practical mm. yeah pictures are, are kind of tricky for a number of reasons mm. so if they're a model and they're being staged then they're staged you know they're yes they're, they, they won't necessarily look natural if they're celebrities or politicians doing them then of course people's natural biases will come in around those individual people and that get that gets yeah. in the way 
of really being able to see what what's really useful there. And that was what the great thing about illustrations. Are. There's no there's no bias. You know, it's 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 we go into it no, knowing that it's an illustration. Therefore, all of those other um, negativity things kind of go away. So yeah. I think it really works. Now, uh, culture and context also play a role, right? So of course there's there's scientific evidence to to back up everything you're saying, but there's culture and there's context, right? Yeah, absolutely. So for example, one of the things I talk about a lot. In fact, I I did a LinkedIn post about it yesterday. Was for for example, our ex prime minister uh, Boris Johnson uh, yesterday was being was grilled for I think three and a half hours by a parliamentary committee to figure out whether he knowingly lied to Parliament, and I think everybody knows the answer to that. But the I was then picking out he well here's some of what we call the tells that some of the things that are that that he's that he's doing that may well suggest he's not necessarily being truthful. And the point that I was then making in terms of my LinkedIn audience was that, and something I find a lot as a coach, that context can then really distort things. So, for example, doing a presentation, it's no secret that public speaking is one of the things that most people fear most often. So they are likely to be nervous. They are likely to be feeling some sort of performance anxiety. Now, the people who are on the receiving end of that presentation or pitch all they can see is the behavior. Now, it's a big ask of us to, to get to them, look, set aside that, that your idea that I might be nervous about what I'm saying. It's just the environment. Because they're just looking at that and going, hmm, he or she's a bit nervous. Maybe I don't want to invest. When actually, it's not about the product. It's not about their faith in what they're saying. It's not about their financials. It's actually just the environment that is operating, that it is changing their behaviors. Because they sit down and have a conversation naturally, they might behave in a very different way. So, yeah, context is huge. And that's a big piece that I do yeah. about helping people go look you because you're nervous you're behaving in this way which could be interpreted like you don't have confidence in what you're saying where it's just the environment that's kind of causing that so helping people understand that correct that and put more confident language body language in instead yeah and another area where this happens is media interviews uh, in my experience mm. so media interviews if you train executives in front of the camera in particular a lot of them get nervous and they start playing a role and what used to be or what was a fantastic eloquent communicator two minutes ago now in front of the camera it's all becomes this stiff act and it feels really inauthentic yeah. but it's because we put these put them in an unnatural situation and therefore it's it's very hard to act naturally yeah well well this is the thing because well, well, the thing that really breeds that familiarity is is exposure is doing it yes you know if, if you've never done a I mean, I've been interviewed live on on Discovery Channel and the BBC, et cetera, et cetera. And it's it's stressful. Yes. Particularly one time when I was interviewed in the BBC, they said, yeah, you're going to be analyzing people straight away after a political debate. I, uh, I'm going to come to you and I'm going to ask a question. I can't tell you what the question is, but what I can tell you is if the answer isn't good, then I'm going to move, the producer's going to say in my ear, move on, I'm going to go and interview somebody else. No pressure. So talk about creating performance anxiety, you know. So that's tough. So you need to understand the rules of the game, how to play that game, prepare for that, and practice in order to be able to handle that situation and knowing what to do. You know, it, the, the greatest thing I find gives people confidence is, is knowing what they're about to do. So a lack of preparation very often translates into more nervousness or, like you say, trying to become a character all of a sudden or seeing I mean, this was something that really gives uh, investors the heebie-jeebies when there seems to be like, two different characters, the person who did the pitch and then the person in the conversation. The behaviors don't quite seem aligned and that makes them nervous. Yes. It's like, well, who was that guy versus who's this guy? Because they, they seem to look alike, but they're behaving differently. So having that consistency throughout your, your communication, be able to move through different environments and still communicate with, with confidence, with credibility, with charisma, whatever's appropriate to that environment. 
Yeah, consistency is absolutely key. And just a small anecdote from my side, you know, obviously been interviewed on TV many times. And I think the worst or the, the, the most challenging was probably Sky in London mm. because they um, often do these remote controlled interviews, especially on like weekends. You come in and you comment on a news story and then you sit in a dark room. There's no one with you. It's just a remote controlled camera and you hear questions in your, you know, in your earpiece and you have to talk to a camera and there's no one there and you just don't know if what you're saying makes any sense to them there's no reaction you can't see the other person so that i found particularly challenging even more so than just you know talking to to a journalist in front of a camera yeah yeah i i, I the same thing when when i was interviewed by or i was asked to give my feedback on mark zuckerberg's first senate appearance a number of years ago for the discovery <laughs> channel what a treat and i was and I was literally sitting in a dark room by myself in London with some questions and stuff getting a, get coming from across the Atlantic and having to look like I was talking to somebody. And it was the smallest, dingiest room. Yes. And a, a, a media tip I got from a journalist years ago was if you ever find yourself in that situation, just find a spot on the wall or find something, you know, and that's the person you're talking to. Because if your eyes are moving around all the time, it's going to look weird. So find a spot. So what the camera sees is you talking to a particular person, even though there's there's nobody there. It's a spot but on it the wall. is quite <laughs> it is quite disconcerting. But you you again, it's about the preparation, knowing that, and then going. This is the environment I'm going to be going into. This is what's going to be difficult. Therefore, I'm going to practice that so I can look more authentic and credible and confident when I'm doing it. Yeah, yeah, perfect. Culture, we should mention briefly. I mean, we could talk for hours about cultural differences, I'm sure. But mm. just like eye contact, I think it's different in different culture, right? How it is seen. Yeah, no, yeah, absolutely. So it can be seen in more confrontation in, in other cultures uh, than, than it is perhaps in more, more Western ones. And this is the thing I always say to people. I, I do not present myself as a cross-cultural expert because it's a huge field. There's loads of, of, of complexities in it. And in, in body language, there are certain things that you need to be aware of. But certainly my, my theory is if I'm going to go and work in a certain area, I'll find somebody who's very familiar and go, look, what are my do's and don'ts? <laughs> what are the, some of the key <laughs> things I need to know yeah. about that part of the world, that culture? What should I know? What should I do? What should I not do? So whilst there's a consistency in body language, like we all display emotions on our faces in exactly the same way, it doesn't matter where you are in the world. We all show happiness the same way. We all show sadness the same way. But hand gestures can mean different things. So you need to know and perhaps avoid some hand gestures in some parts of the world. Uh, I, I won't give any graphic illustrations right now. Well, you, you get the drift. <laughs> Absolutely. So, but you need... You need to know. You need to know, need and, to know. And, and act accordingly. Yeah, yeah. And, and also like how much, how many hand gestures, or to, to what extent do you use your hands is very different from Latin cultures to Nordic cultures, for instance, and that's obviously very fascinating. But we'll probably take us in a, in a different direction. What we want to do is now look at a few scenarios um, that leaders, CEOs, founders are confronted with all the time where body language plays a big part. And maybe we can start with a job interview, right? So mm -hmm. um, as a leader, I probably interview people for vacancies in my team, my company on a regular basis. Now, what should I look out for in a candidate? So one of the one of the first things you, I would say you need to, to be a good interviewer, I'm, I touched on it earlier, is noticing when people are nervous. Because in an interview, you know, it's a, it's a, high performance scenario there's a lot of pressure you know people are, are are going to be nervous now there's different schools of thought on this me i want to get people relaxed so i can really find out who they are what do they bring to the party some other people like to say let's put them under the most amount of pressure that we possibly can and see how they cope with it and i don't really think in an interview that's the best way to get you know to find out can, can we work with this person? Will this person really add value to the organization? So for me, one of the things is, about, is, is noticing if you're getting any nervousness, you know, to, and if you're getting any nervousness to be able to then empathy, go like, uh, you know, I, I know interviews are tough. I always struggle with, and within, I've always struggled with interviews myself. They make me nervous. But remember, we just want to find out more about you. So, you know, just nice. take a second. It's absolutely fine. You know, or maybe even some good interviewers I've worked with, they always go, you know, I'm kind of nervous interviewing you, wonder, worrying about whether I'll do a good job, you know? <laughs> so put people at ease, 
so so you can get the best out of them. I think that's always a, a good tip. And if you notice that people are struggling a little bit, you know, maybe do a little bit of empathy. Maybe say, you know, I, I feel nervous too, or I, or I feel like you're interviewing me with a person of your talents. You know, you can you can choose where you go and work. So anything like that that would get somebody to then relax. But the cue being perhaps their body language. Is, is, is indicating that they're feeling the stress and you're maybe not getting the best out of them. Another thing then is to look about the level of, of conviction that people have. So obviously there's always a temptation in interviews for people to over embellish their achievements, right? Now, but did they really do that? Did they really have that level of involvement in a project that they said they did? Or are they kind of like cherry picking or maybe taking credit for somebody else's work? So the good thing that I always like to do is to get them to talk honestly about something that they've done that you know that there'll be no temptation for them to lie about. So what did you get up to at the weekend? What did you do? What's your, what's your favorite holiday destination? Something like that. And what that gives you then is a, le- a baseline of how much do they gesture and use their face? What, what do they move like? What do they look like when they're being honest? Interesting. Right? Now, <laughs> then, of course, when you go into... so. So you put on your CV, you used to work here, you know, what was the best project or what did you do there? And then then notice, do you get the same level of gesture? Do you get the same level of facial expressions coming into play? Because when people are embellishing things, the, the science shows that people embellishing things are thinking up, having to create a false memory to be able to tell you about it. Their body language tend to dip because their focus has got very much in their in their brain, and they're not recounting a real story. They're in, they're imagining one and having to, you know, put that across. And invariably, what happens there is their body language tends to dip. They don't tend to gesticulate as much as they do. Their but their eye contact will either go one of two ways. Well, so one way is that it will either become much more direct. They'll look at you more than they did normally because they know they're being deceitful. They've heard the idea that liars don't make eye contact. So they ramp it up. So they ramp it up in order to be able to try and look, you know, convincing. And that's cause always interesting. Why are you making even more eye contact? Why is it going up dramatically Intense. around this point? <laughs> yeah. Or the other side where they haven't heard that and, all the, and they make reasonable levels of eye contact. You ask them a question and they look away. Maybe they start to look shifted. Maybe their shoulders start to uh, hunch a little bit. Maybe they do more self-comfort gestures, nervousness gestures. So, for example, you know, uh, rubbing their hands or uh, one that a nervous gesture that you see a lot of people do is what I call the ring reassurance, where they play with their wedding ring to assure themselves that, uh, somebody loves them, which gives them that feel-good factor if they're feeling under pressure. So those are some things that you can look out for in an, an interview around the areas, deception and nervousness, and then conviction. What what does their body language say about this particular project? Do they, do they, are they really, were they really passionate about it? Did it happen? And then if you're talking about the future, you know, how do you, what, what, would, what do you think you could bring to this role? You know, what What most excites you about this company? Because if you're interviewing somebody, you want to know, do they really want the job or are they after interview practice? You know, <laughs> you know, you know let's, let's be honest, you know. So then again, you can get, having had that baseline, you can then compare and contrast that when they're talking about what they're going to contribute and where they see themselves in the company, where they could really add value. So you can make a, a get, gather more data about, whether to hire that person or somebody else who looked more genuinely interested in the role, in the company and the vision of where they were going. I love that um, establishing a baseline. I wasn't aware of that, but that's a fantastic technique. I think we can use in business a lot because um, we often meet new people and we don't know. So once we establish the baseline, we can see devi- deviations from the baseline. Exactly. And um, I-, I can totally see how that is, that is very helpful. Now, a second scenario which would be interesting interesting to shed some light on is, um, you know, speaking in front of the team, right? So, as a leader, I often have to stand up and, in some mm. way, motivate, inspire, or inform the team. But I want to do this with confidence, obviously, so people a listen to me and b believe what I'm saying and c trust that my decisions or my direction is the right one. So, how would how would I approach that? Yeah. Well, it's interesting you say standing up 
first of all, because if you think about leaders, we have this natural association with people who are in the standing position, have more knowledge, more power, and they're more in control. Because think about our, our childhood years. The teacher stood and we sat. True. Right? So there, as soon as so our, our brains associate that standing up with, you're the person with the, the, the knowledge, you're the person who's in control, you're the person who's deciding you know, how, how this whole thing operates. So first of all, it's like st just by standing up, you're kind of assuming some of those associations, which is very powerful. But that then gives rise to the second thing. Do you look comfortable in your own skin? Right, so you have to look like you're happy to be there. So standing up tall, shoulders back, square on into the audience, giving people plenty of, of eye contact, remembering to smile so that you're saying that I'm comfortable in what I'm about to say to you. Because if you're displaying any kind of nervousness about the vision or any lack of certainty about what it is that you're saying, that will directly transfer to people and will inhibit them getting interested and motivated or whatever your particular whatever your particular objective is. So certainly standing, yes, good thing. Eye contact with people, good thing. A nice, warm, natural smile to disarm people and show your confidence and get them to smile back at you. So that that's a positive thing. But then you said to talk about confidence. So some classic confidence gestures, for example. So let's maybe look at a couple of those. So one would be the chop, where you bring your hand down in the chopping mo uh, movement to so say, this is the goal, this is what we're going to do. And you see this a lot in leaders and politicians asserting knowledge, asserting a goal, asserting uh, a way forward. And when you're leading, you have to be clear about what the next steps are and for people to have confidence in you. So one way of doing that is going, so this is the goal, this is the decision that we've made. And as you say goal or decision, you chop. So you imagine your 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 hand is is, is, is outstretched flat, uh, but the thumb is upwards and the, the base of your hand is pointing downwards. And you bring your hand down in a chopping motion, a very firm chopping motion that finishes with your arm about a 90 degree angle. So your hand is raised to about shoulder height, then comes down to your arms at about a 90 degree angle, a chop like that. And that's a really classic confidence assertion gesture. If you want to assure people that you understand the detail and you've got grasp of that and you've thought through it, you understand, a great hand gesture for that is known as the pinch of salt. <laughs> so if you hold your fist up, so your thumb is pointing towards you, and look at the construct of your hand, and you can see that the, the fingers are curled in and your thumb is then wrapped around the front of your knuckles. If you then relax the hand a little bit and then relax the, the forefinger all the way out and extend your thumb out and then bring your thumb, the tip of your thumb and the tip of your top finger together as if you have a, 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 a pinch of salt in it. And what this, then you say, so the details of this are, and you, again, you make that gesture when you're talking about detail or analysis, it assures people that you literally have grasp of the fine detail. So it's a, what we classically known as a softened fist gesture. And it, this was a, a favorite one amongst leaders. Barack Obama used to really use this one a oh, yeah. great deal. Mm -hmm. So say, this is what we're doing. We understand the detail. And this really assures people that as a leader, you understand the complexity of it. Therefore, they can feel comfortable in you as a leader and put their faith in you that you understand the detail and the, and the complexity of it. So that's a second good hand gesture. A third one I mentioned earlier was the, the Bill Clinton favorite, the, the thumb of power. And again, this is a softened fist gesture. So take your fist, relax the, the top fingers until the thumb can drop into the crook of your fingers. So the, 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 the top finger and the second finger relax, and you can straighten your thumb, but drop it into that gap that you've left. So you've softened the whole fist out. The thumb can drop into that gap. And again, that's a, this is what we're doing. These are the key goals. This is what is happening. So that's another good classic confidence gesture. And it's probably why Barack Obama used it 93 times in his first presidential inauguration speech wow. to yeah. really let people know I've gone from can, uh, candidate 
to Commander-in-Chief. That, that, that's super helpful because a lot of people are not sure what to do with their hands and yeah. they put their hands in their pocket, which is not, uh. it's yeah, terrible. I think we all agree. But I think this is not because they think that's as good because be, they probably don't know what to do with their hands. So they don't want to use them in an awkward way. And you're probably aware of uh, Angela Merkel, former German chancellor, how she used um, her hands, which is usually that sort of... Uh, you know, V gesture in a way, um, which is quite yeah, famous. The steeple, it's called. Yeah, the steeple. Ah, okay. I didn't know that. Um, so to to avoid potentially, I don't, I don't know what that. But you know, she was she was known for that. But what are what are the don'ts um, when I'm speaking in front of an audience, be it the team or otherwise? So we said, not put your hands in the pocket. What, what are a few other things I should definitely avoid? Yeah. So one of the things that we should avoid. I touched on it earlier. Was gestures that say i'm nervous so it looks it's interesting i think you're kind of doing that that's self-comfort where people rub their hands so rub, rubbing their hands or what a great colleague of mine peter collette calls displacement activities so that there's that nervous energy and it's kind of got to go somewhere so fiddling with things fiddling with our hair oh, yeah. fiddling with Fiddling with uh, cufflinks, you know, if, if you're a guy. Uh, women might, might fiddle with, with flicking their hair or, or fiddle with jewelry. All of these things, it's, a, it's basically saying, I've got this nervous energy and it's got to go somewhere. So anything like that. Uh, I, I talked about the ring reassurance gesture that people do. They play with their wedding wings, particularly in front of a, an audience where they might feel they're are slightly hostile. So they like to remind themselves, even if nobody in this audience loves them, somebody else does. You know, so that <laughs> makes them makes them feel Just good. Just feel safe, yeah. <laughs> Just feels feel safe. I feel mm. loved. You know, I feel yeah. like it's okay. Or you know, another one that I I a self-comfort gesture that I had that I didn't know I had until somebody pointed it out to me, which was I would stroke my beard. Right? I so I have a beard now, I would stroke my beard. I, I a colleague years ago said to me, I can always tell when you're stressed in meetings. And I said, well, how can you tell? I thought I was pretty good at all this body language stuff. And he said, no, you stroke your beard when you're stressed. Because there's loads of science that goes to that people who have like dogs and cats get fewer stress-related illnesses later in life. You know, They get less cancer, yeah. blood pressure, heart disease, way lower than people who've never owned pets. Why? Because there's something quite therapeutic about stroking something furry. It <laughs> kind of calms us down and relaxes us. So I carry something furry around with me in the shape of my beard. So I would stroke that as a de-stress mechanism. And I had no idea I was doing it. So the, what I find that people who have these coping mechanisms with, for stress with, through their body language, 99.99 times out of 100, they don't know they're doing it no. until I would point it out. Yeah, t totally. I had a thing where I, I probably still do this, but I, I rub my hands in certain mm -hmm. situations. And then I read, I wanted to, why am I doing this? I was pointed out to me. So why am I doing this? And apparently it's because I'm getting angry. When I get angry, then the blood goes to the hands because, you know, my, my reptile brain thinks I need to be ready to fight. So mm -hmm. the blood goes into the hands. Um, but of course, this is, you know, it was like, why? And it's not even that someone makes me angry. Maybe I, I see something in the news that makes me angry and then I would do this. So it's like, why am I doing this? This is so weird. But <laughs> I think I go to the bottom of this, so I'm getting angry. But anyways, I, I like the idea of the warrior pose. I read this somewhere. I can't remember who said this, but it's the straight back, but an open heart. Mm. So you're open, mm. right? You're not crossing your, your hands or arms. So you're, you're, you're open to the world, but you're also confident. So I quite like that. Now, um, one thing we often talk about to founders is pitching, right? Uh, especially mm. now pitching for funding for investment for your company or startup is, is hard because there's less, yeah. less money flowing around and investors think twice before they invest. You already touched upon this in the beginning, but I think it's important and worth coming back to this point. So what should I watch out for? What should I definitely do as, an, as, as, a, as a startup founder when I'm pitching to, to, to potential investors? Well, I think one of the one of the even though I'm a body language expert, my, my my background is sales and sales leadership. And I said, and I think the most important thing with an audience like that, you know, with potential investors, I, I talk about you got to know your audience. So I, when it, I and as a consultant, I'm I often go in and I help people design pitches. And the, the first questions I go are like, what it, what is your outcome? You know, what do you want want to happen? You know, who's the audience? What are, what would be their barriers to doing what you want to do? 
You know, what are their concerns? You know, and you've got to answer all of those because if you're like, you can't just talk about you, your product, your service, how brilliant you are, what an amazing opportunity that this is. You got to know your audience and then have that as part of your structure and then be able to empathize where possible, where be able to assure them with confidence, gestures, and the moment things that they might feel nervous about. So the, the planning and your and some of the content and structure comes from answering those questions about your audience. You know, what do you want them to do? Where are they now? What would the, the natural objectives, uh, sorry, not objectives, objections be? Uh, who's your competition? You know, who else might they invest with? And why are you better than the other people? How do you answer that question if that's the question that's in the investor's mind? And once you've got that content about, then you can start to think, now, what's the best way of reinforcing that? So if you want to acknowledge that the risk, for example, you know, in an investor's mind, you know, yes. my money's safe in the bank. Maybe that's not such a great example right now <laughs> with some of the things going on in the bank. As we used to say. <laughs> yeah, we, as we used to say, my money's safe in the bank. But if I give it to you, there's risk. So just acknowledging that. So, and, of, and of course, you know, you could leave your, you could leave your money in, in the bank. You know, you're going to get a certain amount of interest. We, we understand that when you're putting it into a, a company, there's a, there's a degree of risk. Now, if you yeah. do an open palm gesture, which is very open, and you say, look, I, I get that. I, I, I understand that. There's that empathy. And that's why today we wanted to assure you about the research that we've done or the, or the, 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 the testing that we've had or the, the initial results that we've had with our, with our market research or our, 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 our test audience or what we've done, achieved here. Let me show you the, the, the facts and figures to assure you about that. So you see how the content and the answers to those questions then goes around. Now we got, let's get great content. Then how can we reinforce that and support yeah. that with our, yeah. with our body language, be it showing empathy or being asserting confidence, depending yeah. upon the content. And I, I would add, uh, that's great advice. I would add to that, that um, investors tend to test, listen, whether the other person is listening. So mm. it's very much about the, um, being open to feedback and some people get defensive when they get critical questions uh, also job interviews something I actually do sure. I, I ask critical at least I test how people react to when, when you ask something more critical um, mm. not because I'm necessarily interested in the answer but I want to see how they react if they yes. are defensive yeah. or if they are open to feedback so okay actually that that's a really good point thank you at the same time, you want to be confident and firm about your core beliefs and the the idea you're pitching. But you need, I think, you need to show that you're open to feedback and not get defensive because that's something investors don't like to see. That's a red flag for mm. them often. Yeah. No. And and in, and and in that, you got to be very very careful when you get tough questions. And the thing is to to expect them. I, I actually go so like I one technique I use when I'm working with people who are preparing for a pitch. I say, okay. What are the 10 worst possible questions they can ask you? Like the nightmare scenario questions. What oh, are they? they go, oh, oh, I don't want to think about that. I said, well, you better because what happens if you get one of them? So I, so they write them down. And they go, no, what's even worse than that? What's, yeah. what's, what, what's an even scarier question? They go, oh, I don't want to think about that. I said, <laughs> yes, you do. Because yes. you want to be thinking about it now, not when you're in front of a panel of investors exactly. yeah. next week. You know, so... And then you can you can build uh, familiarity with with that, and show confidence in answering t tough questions. One as you did by acknowledging it. Oh, uh, I'd understand why you'd ask that question. Of course, you know a concern that a lot of investors would have. And then you can go. Well, let me let me assure you. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. And, uh, I think I think this is this is so true. Um, let's talk about a different scenario, which is speaking in front of an audience. And we already talked about hand gestures and so on, but maybe just briefly about what do I do when I have a big stage, right? I want, mm. don't want to be static, but I don't want to sort of pace back and forth. And maybe then, what do you do in a in a, in a virtual environment, right? So I'm speaking in front mm. of a virtual audience. So let's start with a big stage, right? So yes. you don't want to be static but no. watch how much movement should there be yeah no this is great i mean it's it's been fascinating now over the last year or so actually getting back myself on big stages and i was on a big stage last week about 100 people in the room and it was the first time in a couple of months that i'd, I'd done well, not the first one post pandemic but the first one i'd done in a while 
And the stage was at least probably 15 meters wide the, and with, with a podium in the middle, et cetera, et cetera. And there's, of course, you've got people the full width of that room as well. So if you're static on a big stage like that, you, you tend to look small. If you're behind a podium, you then cannot be seen. So I like to come out from behind a podium and, yes, move. But my, my rule of thumb is don't move and talk. So if you have a point to make, go to one, one part of the stage and make your point. And then as almost like it's a punctuation. Like if you think of um, a well-written prose, there'll be in paragraphs, and there's a white space, and there's another paragraph. It breaks it up. So you think about a point that you want to make as a paragraph, and then maybe move a little bit, stop, and then address the next paragraph from a different, from a different spot. And that's a, a good way of being able to use a stage and get you closer to different people in the audience at different times. But another thing that I like to do as well is to tell the audience about what kind of style of communication that I was doing. So last week, when I when I when I wanted when I did the Q and A part, I sat down. So they had some high stools. So I said, right now you you're asking me questions. I'm going to make myself more accessible. So I'm going to sit down to take your questions because when you're standing up and other people are sitting down. And I was, it was a raised platform, so I'm looking down at them. Now, I want people to ask me questions. So how do you do that? Well, physically, I made a deliberate choice to sit down and go, so what do you think? And I you know, opened my palms up, you know, inviting those, those questions in order to be able to clearly show that the style of my communication was moving from me delivering information to actually wanting to get the audience involved. So I think my top tips for a, a big podium, a big stage are, yes, move, but don't move and talk at the same time because that can be a little bit disconcerting. Come out from behind the podium so people can actually see you. And then think about what your meta message is. Are you delivering something, Q&A, maybe look at standing and or sitting in order to be able to really communicate that this is what's happening now and gives a cue to the audience of how to respond to you. Yeah, yeah, and I'm big on energy, I have to say. So I think it, um, what I often say is that um, the camera, the stage, everything, it's its a filter, right? It will filter out your energy. So you have to yes. inject more energy than you usually would in order, it needs to feel over the top so it will feel normal to the audience. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and particularly on, on, on a big stage, yeah. because and one of the things that is really important is, of course, you know, your volume. Mm -hmm. I mean, you don't speak to a, an auditorium of 100 people at the same volume that you speak to, you know, a small room with three or four people. And you, ha you have to get comfortable in projecting your, your voice in order to be able to do that. So, again, that's planning, that's preparation and knowing the tools of how to do yeah, it. Yeah, sure. that's, that's right. That's right. So in a virtual setting, we all know the situation. I'm on the panel, but actually I'm just one little, you know, uh, tile mm. on Zoom or Teams or whatever. Uh, and a million other people and some show their screen, you know, show their faces. Other have a black screen. But it is, I mean, we fortunately are through COVID, but it felt awkward to a lot of people. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I think it was an absolutely fascinating transition that where, you know, there was a transition that was happening there naturally anyway. And the whole thing just got shunted forward by about three or four years in terms of where we would naturally have gone anyway. Now, some of the key things about how to be engaging in this environment. So something that both of us have done. So we've invested in headphones with a nice long cable. Now, what that means is that you can get far away from the camera. A lot of people use the cameras in their laptops. Not everybody has a separate camera, for example. But what this does, it means you can be far enough away where you can actually gesture, and it's not too inoffensive and in your face. A lot of people have to stay close to their computer because they're using the inbuilt microphone. Now, if I move closer like that, now my head's almost filling. Now, if I try and gesture, that just looks weird. The fact that I've got... You know, it, does a headset, it does look weird. It yeah. does look weird. Yeah, you can confirm that. Yes, thank uh, you. I look totally, weird 100%. the best time, but up close really weird. Yeah. But when you can then move back, now you can gesture effectively and it doesn't look offensive and it, it looks more, more natural. The second, so the second thing then is, uh, where is the camera? It needs to be an eye line. Remember, you're talking with people. 
Now you don't look down on people. Oh, that's a big one. People. Yeah, that's a big one. So yeah. Get your get your camera on on eye level. So you're trying to look to as much as possible recreate what a natural face to face conversation would be. So get the angle right. That's that's really important. The third thing then I would say about gesture is that when we normally gesture, we gesture down here around our uh, midway between our chest and our our hips down there. We gesture there. The problem with doing virtually is that's out of shot, right? So a normal conversation, that's how I gesture. So you have to get used to raising your hands up to about chest height and gesturing here. This is not what we normally do. If you go and see two people talking in a pub, they will, people will not be gesturing at chest height. They'll be gesturing down here. The problem with virtual <laughs> communication is that's out of shot. So they people literally can't see it. So you have to get used to bringing your hands up, whether you're doing things like, so here's our agenda today. So first of all, we're going to do that. Second, that, second, that. So then using your hand to come to what we call signposting or even counting. So the first thing we're going to do is this. Second thing we're going to do is that. Then thirdly, we're going to do this. And then you can come back to that and go, yeah, the third point that I wanted to make was. So, but you can't do that out of shot. Yes. It's actually more confusing to do it out of shot because people are going, was yeah. that a three? I'm not sure. Did I see a three? I'm not sure. So getting used to bringing your hands up so they can be visually seen, but of course you need to be far enough away. That's that, that's not offensive. So those will be my, my top three body language tips for effective communication virtually. Yeah, and it's even more important virtually because uh, you mentioned this in, uh, earlier because when I stand up in a room or on stage, naturally I'm standing. I have these insignia mm. of importance and I can use my hands as I always use them. But we have to think about the whole setup, camera, microphone, lights, etc., in a virtual Certainly. setting and then think way hard about the hand gestures because if I do it normally, you wouldn't even see me. And I would add to that that the connecting, the eye contact is also <laughs> harder because, of course, I can't look someone in the eye. I have to look into the camera and that that's mm. kind of weird and then I don't see you. So how, how do you deal with that, the, the eye yeah. contact online? Yeah, no, this is an interesting one. The thing that a lot of people do is they, they overdo it, mm -hmm. okay? They overdo it. And I, I, one tip that a, a voice coach that I work with a lot, uh, Caroline Goider, she gave me a great tip. She said, don't talk to the camera, talk through it. Mm -hmm. Don't talk to the camera. Talk through it. It's a conduit to the people that are on the, on the other end of it. Nice. And that's just that subtle distinction. I, I really like when I started thinking that way, I noticed my body language softened a little because I'm it's almost like in the early parts of the pandemic. I think I was trying too hard and it was a brilliant tip. And I love that. Don't talk to the camera. Talk through it. Uh, the, the other thing that, about the camera is that people can overdo it. They can, they can overdo it. So I, you notice that when I, what we normally do, like if somebody says, you know, it gives you a complex piece of mathematics, you kind of tend to, <laughs> oh, yeah, it's 15%. You know, you tend to look away. That's natural behavior. You, if you don't want to stop, stop doing that. And if you're having a conversation with anybody and they look you in the eye the entire time, it's actually quite disconcerting. It's mm -hmm. quite disturbing. It's not normal. I mean, for me, what I always talk about in terms of body language is I call it the pub test. If it's something you would do naturally in a pub, it's fine in normal conversation. If you would never do that in normal conversation in a pub, then it's probably not okay to be able to do. <laughs> And we don't stare directly into people's eyes all the time. Right. The question is, try when that in do a pub. <laughs> yeah, yeah, try that. Yeah, yeah, just go for a drink with someone. Just stare straight in. They'll go, are you okay? Are you feeling all right? That'll be a bit weird. But the thing is not to, like, for example, break eye contact on a tough question. For example, you know, so the the natural times when you, when you would do that, but to be aware that it is engaging. Now, a fascinating conversation with somebody a while ago about whether you should look at the person, which is what I'm doing now, or versus look at the camera. And I tried this out with a number of people. I thought I want to find out what looks what looks best. My own personal research from from people was that when you look at the person you're talking to your body language is much more natural because you are responding to what you people can see when you stare resolutely at the camera it might look good optically but you're not responding as authentically because you can't actually see 
the mm. other person. So I, I actually did that test in the early part of the pandemic because a lot of people were coming out as, you know, in the early part of the pandemic, we're virtual communication experts. And I'm thinking, how? Nobody's been doing it long enough. Yeah. <laughs> so I saw this tip, always look directly into the camera to connect yeah. to your audience. And I thought, I'm not so sure. Let me let me let me play with that and see what what actually works better from other people's perspective. That that that's. I'm glad you say that because I always heard this advice and it just felt wrong to me. And mm. I couldn't put words around it, but but now I can. So what I do is I move you close to the camera so I can look at Absolutely, you now. Yeah. And it kind of is not far away from the camera. And, I, and I'm not doing it well or perfectly. I'm not saying that, but it, I'm so glad you say that. So thank you, thank you, Martin, for <laughs> ca countering all the v digital communications uh, experts' advice. <laughs> put, put that right and put us at ease. Now, um, the final scenario, and thank you. <laughs> we spent a lot of time this word. This is fascinating to me. So power play. And I think all of mm. us in business, we encounter these situations where someone is doing the power over thing, right? They're not collaborating. They're not eye level. They want to be more powerful, more senior than you. And if you think of a, an extreme example that comes to mind would be um, when, for instance, uh, was... Um, 2016 in the American presidential debate when Donald Trump sort of stood, oh, yeah. stood up and was huffing and puffing behind um, yeah. Hillary Clinton, clear attempt to intimidate her. So that was an extreme example. But I think we all encounter these situations from time to time. So how do we deal with that? Yeah. So this, th this was fascinating. And I actually saw an interview with her where she said that he literally made my skin crawl. You know, he literally <laughs> made my skin crawl. And we call that space invading. And we all have a an invisible little barrier around us that you know we you know you know that's we want people to stay outside of that. And culturally, you, you got variances, but we we all have a space where we we like people to stay outside of that. Now, as Hillary was answering those quest the tough questions, he wasn't uh, Donald Trump wasn't obviously speaking. So he said, "Well, what can I do to put her off her game? I'll space invade." And he would do it from behind her as well, or do it from this from the side. She could she knew he was there, but it was like, which is even more disconcerting when you can't see someone. Oh, yeah. But the key thing, and this is what we find happening in business, that you know, people are trying to put you off your game. You know, their 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 own lack of confidence can only be boosted by 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 combating other people's confidence and so wanting to put them off their game so space invading is one definitely that you see uh, people doing and it's like mm, okay why are people behaving in that way and the thing that i always like to do when when i'm working with people and say oh, i've got this boss who behaves in this way blah, blah, they're a bit of a bully blah 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 and i said well the best anecdote or the best uh, antidote to it is to show them that it's not working so whenever everybody tries any of those power play things, I like to look people in the eye and smile. And, and it's like you can see them go, no, that's not what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to be intimidated. You're supposed to back away. You're supposed to look nervous. But just look at them and give them a nice warm smile. And interestingly, in another presidential debate, Al Gore was trying to do that with George, uh, George Bush. Now, Gore is a lot taller than George Bush as well. So he was quite you know, physically um uh, quite quite uh, uh, an imposing figure shall we say and he did the same thing to george bush and what did george bush do george bush turned around looked up at him and just nodded at him like i know what you're doing i'm not going to be intimidated which i thought was absolutely fascinating when you see it on stage it's it, you know it's a real demonstration of i know what you're doing and i'm not going to respond in the way that you're hoping so he, just, he turned around looked at him and just he, he nodded. But I like giving people a smile because, you know, nervous people don't smile. So if somebody's trying to intimidate me, you know, they give me the hard handshake or they step into my space, <laughs> you know, they start pat, you know <laughs> pointing or whatever. And I've, I've, had, I've had some senior leaders do this to me, you know, come in or, or touch you, you know, the power touch, you know, they you know put, the, mm -hmm. put their hands on their shoulder. I once had one female executive said, you know, uh, uh, one of these uh, customers uh, kisses me and I don't want him, you know, he, 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 oh, great to see you. And before I know it, he's wrapped his arms around me and he's, and he, and he's kissed me. And uh, so I, so I, I give, uh, we, we talked through that. I said, well, do, do the, what, we, what we call the blocker. So you hold your hand out to, for the handshake. And then he normally progresses that into a hug. But as you do that, then 
put with your other hand out, palm up, so that it, it, and, and touch their um, and almost like blocking, like you see rugby players do. Mm-hmm. But you can't come close. Well, they know what they call, they call the handoff. So you're shaking the hand, but then put your hand on their shoulder. It's great to see you too. So there's a touch involved, but now you're doing it, but you're keeping them at a distance while still being friendly and shaking shaking the hand. I just, oh, that's, that's great. I'm going to try that. So, yeah. you know, I get, I get an email a couple of weeks later. Oh, that worked a treat. You know, I maintained the relationship, but I asserted what I didn't want. But I did it assertively and I did it friendly because I, I didn't want to ruin the relationship by going get off you creep type thing, you know. So that that worked uh, really well. So for me, it's about what is the person's agenda? What are they trying to do with that? You know, and you, you mentioned Donald Trump, and of course he does all of these, and the, he does a lot of these power plays. And one of his uh, favorite, the chin jut. And he sticks his chin out, you know, which is, you know, uh, go on, I dare you, hit me, you know, you know. <laughs> so when people are doing that, well, what's that about? What's their agenda? And invariably, people who use these power plays are actually feeling it's a way of trying to boost their own confidence because of their own insecurities. So be know that that's almost certainly, you know, the root cause of it, and then counter it assertively, but in a way that can still maintain their relationship. So that, that those are always my top tips when I'm working with people wow. to uh, around that. Yeah. Wow, Martin, you've given us so many insights. A whole toolbox. I feel I've been just given. I've received the gift of a toolbox, uh, the body language toolbox. Of course, yours is called the body language decoder. We should probably add where where people can get it. Yeah, absolutely. Amazon. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> go on, Amazon. <laughs> Martin Brooks, the body language decoder. I have it. It's awesome. It's fantastic. I like to play around with it. You can even play with kids. So it's yeah. it's super intuitive. So it's fantastic. Martin, thank you for sharing all of this. I really, really appreciate it. And I can't believe we should have had this conversation like three years ago. <laughs> well, better podcast, late than ever. Exactly. The second best time is now. And I really appreciate it. So thank you so much. Well, thank you. It's been a great chat. I've really enjoyed it. And like you said, practical tips that people can go away and use. Be interested, be excited, but go away and use it and make that difference in your career.